0: Okay, so tonight, Baezr Hashem, we're going to be continuing our series of Shirim on the teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Now, this is going to be the second week of introductory Shirim before we enter into the teachings themselves as explicated and expressed and written through the hand of either Rabbi Nachman or his scribe and Taman Mulfaq Rabinasan in the Sefer Lukuttimara on the collected teachings of Moreno Harav Nachman. But tonight, what I'm going to try and do is contextualize just a little bit more what I'm trying to say, and more importantly, almost what I'm not trying to say. Now, last week, what I tried to convey with regards to the concept of Rabbi Nachman, and what he teaches us about our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, and what he teaches us about our placement or our role as human beings within this liminal space of this world, is that on the one hand, Rabbi Nachman is dreadfully aware of how easy it is for an individual to fall to the bottom. Not to a low point, not to a difficult place, but directly to the bottom to the shlav ha'acharon, to the lowest possible denominator within the concept of spirituality. Rabbi Nachman speaks from that place. Rabbi Nachman speaks to us at that place. He shows us how HaKadosh Baruch Hu and how the light of Amuna can penetrate specifically the darkest places. Yet at the same time, we express that it's important to remember that while Rabbi Nachman spoke to that place, it doesn't mean that autobiographically Rabbi Nachman experienced that place. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to convey any actual tefisa of what the tzaddik was or what his relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu was. But in terms of the emuna and the concept of Rabbi Nachman as a tzaddik who conveys the rutzon of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a way that hadn't been revealed prior to it, Rabbi Nachman comes along and says something mechudash. He's coming to teach us something new. He's coming to teach us that it's okay to live at the bottom sometimes. That it's okay for an individual to find the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically where it's most logically hidden. Now, we ended last week's shir with the promise that what Rabbi Nachman is ultimately going to be teaching us or what I'm going to try and show through the teachings of Rabbi Nachman is how to breathe, is how to take a deep breath, is how to inhale and hold the breath and feel the intensity within the self and feel the pent-up pressure within the self and feel that discomfort or that claustrophobia that takes place when you hold your breath slightly too long and you begin to be aware of what not breathing means. And then ultimately when you let go, the catharsis that comes about by way of that exhale, that sigh, that extra breath out, that a shov, that relief, that ruach is what Rabbi Nachman is coming to teach us. That like Rabbi Nachman told his chasidim, kisha Tis mi sham v'tish'alu otcham ma When you leave me, when you take leave from me, and they ask you, what exactly were you doing by this person? What were you doing in Breslov? What were you doing by Rabbi Nachman? Answer them ruach. Answer them that we were becoming lighter that we were learning how to float a little bit, that we were learning how to breathe a little bit more, and that the entire purpose of the year, and ultimately I think the entire purpose of everything that Rabbi Nachman is coming to teach us, is how an individual can feel lighter in a world that is heavy. So Rabbi Nachman doesn't just want us to feel light. Rabbi Nachman doesn't want us to ignore the heaviness of being. Rabbi Nachman doesn't want us to ignore the unbearable heaviness of things at times. To the point that Rabbi Nachman writes in the second chilek of Maharan Maharan, a very powerful, almost existential announcement, where he says, many people speak about a belief in Olam Haba. Many people speak about a belief in the world to come. And they struggle with that belief in the world to come. Rabbi Nachman says, I have no problem believing in the world to come. I have no problem believing in the fact that there is a world to come. What I have a bigger time, what I have a harder time believing in is Olam Haza. I have a harder time believing that there's actually this world because all I see around me is Gehenim says Rabbi Nachman. All I see around me is Yisurin, Ish lefi mahalilo, each person according to their own Nukuda of Tzabrachankay. Each person according to their own level of brokenness. The rich, the poor, the healthy, the sick, the up, the down, the right, the left, each and every person according to their own situatedness, according to their own circumstances and their own privilege, each of them is simply sighing like Rinachman teaches us in Supremeysios about the blind beggar about the deaf beggar rather, the deaf beggar, and the last tale of the seven beggars, which Ezra Sashem one one day we should be able to share a little bit, to teach a little bit about the seven beggars, or, or read a little bit about the seven beggars. Or Rinachman describes the power of this deaf beggar who appears deaf. He appears to be incapable of hearing. And when he comes to visit the children, the orphans, the lost children when they get married in the pit, in the ground, in the mud, covered by twigs and dirt, the deaf beggar arrives on the second day of Brachos and he says, Hello, I'm here. You spoke about me and I'm here. And I have a gift to offer you that you should live a good life like me, that you should live a Chaim Tivum like me. And this deaf beggar says to the lost children, to the orphans, to all of us, he says, You think I was deaf you think I couldn't hear. But in truth, my hearing is greater than anybody else's hearing. But all I hear from this world is chasronos. All speech, all prayer, all tfila, all sighs, all expression, all communication, says the deaf beggar. He says it all comes about because people are dealing with their own Nakuda hachisaron. Each person is speaking about what they're lacking. And even when a person is speaking about what they have, and even when a person is grateful for what they have, it's also rooted in the sense that they're not lacking. That human conception and perception and consciousness and cognitive awareness is rooted in the fact that there's not enough. A sense of privation, a sense of lack, a sense of emptiness. And the deaf beggar says, I have no time, I can't hear such speech. I can't hear such speech. So Rabin Nachman was very well aware that Most of the talking in the world, most of the expression in the world comes about because this world is a difficult place. And Rabbi Nachman is not denying that this world is a difficult place. Rabbi Nachman is teaching us that yes, the world is a difficult place. That difficulty stems from both ontological places like the Hester and the Shvira and the Tzimtzum, which we'll speak about. And it also stems from psychological places about how we feel when we look at the world and how we feel when we look at ourselves and how we feel when we look at what we've done with ourselves and what we haven't done. The tsar comes from all places. The feeling of chisar comes from all places. Rabbi Nachman is not denying that. What Rabbi Nachman is saying is that, yes, I'll admit it. It's true. I've been there, like we said. I walked this path and I know all about the brokenness. I know how this world feels more like Gehenem than it does feeling like Olam Haza. But nevertheless, says Rabbi Nachman, in spite of the fact that this world is difficult at times, nevertheless, the only thing that a person can fathom to do, the only service of God that emerges out of an authentic place, is to be happy in spite of it all, is to force ourselves to be happy, is to compel ourselves to be happy or phrased in a more psychologically valuable language, to choose to be happy. When Ibn Nachman started off telling his tale of the seven beggars, this was towards the end of his life, after Ibn Nachman felt that his teachings had failed. And again, somebody wants to understand just the Shemetz, a little bit of this personality of Rabbi Nachman. It's not something that I've done in the shirim, but last night I, I listened to my brother, Rabbi Josh Rosenfeld's first shir in a series of shirim that he gave on Rabbi Nachman's travels to Eretz Yisrael. And I can't recommend the first shir enough because what my brother does, L'fiyah Niyas is really grab hold of the historical tzaddik, the historical expression of Rabbi Nachman in this particular journey in, a, in an early stage of his life. In expressing the historicity of Rabbi Nachman, he's also describing the poetics of Rabbi Nachman. What Rabbi Nachman meant when he said that our entire life is simply a journey. Nevertheless, what Rabbi Nachman is telling us is that a person must choose joy ultimately. In spite of all of the conditions in the world, in spite of all of the things that speak out against joy, in spite of all the darkness that a person confronts, joy is the only answer. Simcha is the only answer. And Rabbi Nachman introduced his tale of the seven beggars, the last tale that he told, really the last teaching, after all of his Torahs, after all of the teachings that he tried to convey to his students, failed in his eyes. The Torah wasn't doing what he needed it to do. It wasn't getting to that nekuda in the lave of each and every individual. And Sobbi Ahman said, I'm going to begin to tell stories. I'm going to begin to speak to a place beyond the intellect, beyond the mind of the individual. I'm going to speak to the heart of my chassidim. I'm going to speak to the heart of the world. Famously, Rabbi Nachman says that the rest of the world tells stories to put their children to sleep. But for Rabbi Nachman, he was telling stories to awaken the neshama from its slumber, from its existential slumber. It's nothing pretty about the slumber of the soul. There's nothing pretty about the unconscious sense that the neshama feels itself stuck in the slime and the dregs of this world at the bottom of the barrel, that place that only Rabbi Nachman was willing to look. But nevertheless, Rabbi Nachman says, I'm going to tell stories to wake people up, to show them that even in the darkness, even in the muck, even in the mud, even in the slime, even in the yesurim, there is a makom miyuchad, there is a unique place that remains unsullied and that is the place of simcha. That is the place of happiness. That is the place of the choice of the Bechira to be besimcha, To be koyfefe tzatz moliyof To force oneself, to compel oneself with all manners of compulsion to be joyous. Afile b'mile deshtusa even in mundane matters, even if it means acting like an insane individual, even if it means we're the crazy viceroy's of the king who have marked our foreheads because we know and we remember that we ate from the tainted wheat, even if it means that we have to act like a madman and get underneath the table, pretending that this person is a turkey. Rabbi Nachman says a person has to be willing to be mashluch as all the haskalos, we have to be willing to cast off all intellectual speculation and complication that confound and confuse the human mind, like Kohela says so explicitly. And he says we have to throw ourselves into the simplicity and sometimes the insanity of joy, the madness of joy, the mendacity of what it means to choose to be happy in a world that speaks the opposite of happiness. And Rabbi Nachman started telling his tale, the last tale. Rabbi Nassim records as follows. He says that Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman started telling stories, and he said, I'm going to tell you how once upon a time they were happy. That's what Rabbi Nachman wanted to teach the students, what he wanted to teach us, what he wanted to teach the world, how once upon a time people were happy, how once upon a time people had simcha. And there's a censorship issue, and it comes out in the later editions of Sipurim Aisiyos, and Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman brings us down, a tzaddik who we're going to meet, the Mirz Hashem, next week, and his Sefer Bir HaLikutim and his Yurches Qolim, the 18 Qolim, of how to learn the Sefer HaLikutim Maran. There's a lot to say about Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, whose father was a Tamnulukh of Rabbi So it's a direct transmission of what Breslin was trying to say. But the censored edition says as follows. It says that Rabbi Nachman didn't simply say, It didn't simply say, I'm going to tell you about how once upon a time they were happy. What it said was, It said, I'm going to tell you once upon a time how people knew how to be happy, specifically out of brokenness, specifically out of Tzabrachinkite. And anybody who's been willing to listen to me at any point knows that Marashchaira, that that proclivity towards anxiety, that heart that stays awake even when it's asleep, that says, even though I feel like I'm at home, there's still a residual homesickness that keeps me awake, reminding me that in spite of how good things might be, there's still an infinite level of goodness that can emerge out of the infinite God. That neshama, that chilek eloi k'imimah, that is a sheichus to the marash chayra hativis, like the Mitla Rebbe says, like the admor HaMtsai, Rav Doiv the sun, the b'chor, I don't know if he was the bechor. I correct myself there. The son of the Balatanya, the chavrusa of Rav Aaron Halevi from Strashelia, the Avodas Halevi, sadikim who have a real hiskashrus to Rabbi Nachman, and who my my teacher Rav Itzhak Morgensen, Morganstein sees as all comprising a singular constellation of thinkers. That the Mittler says as follows in Shar Hayichud, he says Shamati. I heard from my father who heard in the name of his Rebbe. So this is a teaching that came down from the Magad of Mezarech, which means that it's a teaching that comes directly from the Balshamta Shem Tov And the Mithra says as follows, and I might be paraphrasing, I might be saying the exact words, I'm not sure. He says, That, somebody who wants to understand the secrets of Torah must have the deep-seated proclivity towards marashchairah, towards a bitterness, towards a merirus, towards a sense of things not being okay. That's always been there. That if a person wants to understand the benefit of what Panimiyas Torah is coming to teach us, first and foremost, there needs to be an acknowledgement of the fact that things are not okay on an external level. If a person doesn't recognize that the surface level of things are tzabrachan and broken, there's no need for a person to descend into the reservoirs of what lies underneath. Somebody who feels that everything is besedr on the outside and that there's no chasronos and that there's no lack and that there's no yusurin has no need for panemius. It's only a person who is deeply aware of the chasronos and the yusurin and the difficulty, or like Rabbi Nachman says, that this world doesn't appear to be a world that appears to be Gehenim it's only a person like that who's going to benefit from the medication, from the therapeutic value of Panim Yisot And the Mitra brings a source text, he says, mm-hmm. That the and Merkava, the secrets of the chariot, the secret of what it means to become a vehicle for God in this world, the secret of what it means to allow our lives to become a Merkava, a vehicle that conveys the Ratzan of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in spite of the fact that we're stuck in all of our interpersonal and internal distortions, nevertheless that a person can become a Merkava, a place that discloses the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the prerequisite for that is libo doig bekirbo. Their heart is worried within them. There's a natural anxiety. There's a sense that things are not okay. And Rabbi Nachman understood this deeper than most tzaddikim, possibly deeper than any tzaddik. And Rabbi Nachman says, it's specifically because I am telling you how broken the world is. It's specifically because I'm warning you how difficult it's going to be to find joy in this world, that a person is forced to find joy, that you understand that it's an avoida, it's work to bring joy out of this world, to force this world to give joy to us. In contradistinction to the typical assumption about joy or happiness or comfort, as if it were a mood that one finds themselves in, as if it were some natural sense that emerges once a person has been successful, Rabbi Nachman is saying that no, no, no. You have to work for joy. You have to work difficultly for joy. You have to struggle to be happy in this world. You have to force yourself to be happy no matter what. No matter what flames emerge into the world, no matter what difficulties emerge into the world, a person must always resolve that at the end of the day, I am choosing to say yes to the world. I am choosing to see the good in the world. But like we said last week, we're not talking too much about the neshama of Rabbi Nachman. We're not talking too much right now about what this Bechina of the Tzaddik was, or what his personality was, or what his experiences were. That's something that I feel is beyond my capacity to speak about, at least publicly and privately. But what we are speaking about is the Torah of the Tzaddik. And like we said, for Rabbi Nachman and for Rabbi Nasser, in the Svarim of Breslov, Lukutim Haran, Sichos Haran, Chaya Haran, Sefer Amidos especially, they're not simply books that convey messages of a dead teacher but rather they are living books that the dead teacher has placed his soul within. That there are certain svarim. Like we said, Rabbi Nachman teaches us that the sefer is the gematria shame. It's the same numerical value as a name of a person. They both equal 340. Because the name conveys the sense of a subject, of a living personality. When you call somebody by their name, you're engaging with a living individual. The Sefer is also the name of the Machaber. It's also the lifeblood of the Machaber. Rabbi Nachman says explicitly throughout Lukutim Maharan that a certain type of tzaddik can be maniach sikhlo velibo besoch sifro. That the tzaddik places his neshama and places his mind within the Sefer to the extent that when you study a living text, when you study a text of a tzaddik who has placed himself within the text, you're not simply studying dead ideas of a dead author, but the ideas are alive at Torah's Chaim, and you have access to the Neshama of the Tzaddik specifically by learning the writings. Like certain Tzaddikim have said, the Mori says it, or of Moshe Shapiro, Schusier Ganaleinu spoke about it very often with regards to the writings of the Leshem. That when Chazal tells us in, Maseches, in in the Yerushalmi, Mesachah Shabbos in the Yerushalmi, that somebody who learns a Sefer has to imagine as if the Bal hashmua, as if that Tzaddik was standing in front of them, that's not simply an imaginary tool to enable, you know, educational value or to allow for a healthy sense of transition from generation to generation, but it's an actual ontological spiritual sense that by speaking the words of a tzaddik, by reading the words of a tzaddik in a sefer, you have access to that tzaddik, you become a Talmud of that tzaddik. The Mitla Rebbe, again, Rav Dov Ber Shnuri, the the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, someone who I feel is deeply connected to Rabbi Nachman, not that I feel that that Rav Shemaya Morgenstern has said is deeply connected, the Mittler Rebbe writes as follows in his Kuntris Hashtachavus about going to the Kivarim of Tzadikim, going to going to the Kivarim of Tzadikim. He says that in order to be a student of a Tzadik, it doesn't mean that the Tzadik has to be alive. If you're connected to the teachings of the Tzadik, if you learn the Svarim of the Tzadik, there's a Hiskashris there. If a person reads Rabinassin's Hakdama, a person reads the introduction that Rabbi Nassim wrote to the Sefer of Lukut HaMahran, it's a remarkable text. He describes the Sefer of Lukut HaMahran as an architectural edifice with rooms upon rooms and doors within doors and secret hallways that meander away. And in any Torah which is going to be a cheder in that house, each Torah in Lukut HaMahran is considered a room within that house and each room has access to every other room through secret passageways. This imagery of what the Sefer of Lekut Maharan is, a home, it's a world that a person settles within, that's where the neshama of the tzaddik can be found as well. And so although we're not talking about the tzaddik himself and his relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu and the dvekos that he had with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, what we are going to talk about is the Torah that the tzaddik left over. And what I want to try and say right now, and the reason I introduce it with that I'm trying to say this, is because I have not seen this in the writings of Rabin Nachman, Rabbi Nassan, or his Talmidim, which makes me nervous to say it on a real level. But certain Chaveirim and rebayim that I have have agreed to the fact that this is a concept that finds itself in the writings of Likudu and finds itself in the writings of Rabbi Nachman. So what I'm saying right now is B'zarech Efshar. What I'm saying right now is a possibility I'm not trying to say a chiddush. I'm not trying to offer my own interpretation about Rabbi Nachman that hasn't been said about Rabbi Nachman. That's not my interest. And I haven't been able to get the haskama that I needed for this idea before giving this year, but I felt that it was necessary for myself to say what I feel I need to say because this is something that is fundamental to my understanding of Rabbi Nachman and the Sefer of Lukutim Aaron. But nevertheless, it should be taken with a grain of salt in the deepest sense of the word, that grain of salt, that Merirus, that Rabbi Nassan speaks so often about in Alim Trufa, that, if it were not for this speck of salt in the world, then the entire world wouldn't be able to exist. That there's a certain need to doubt oneself. There's a certain need to doubt any certainty that a person has and avoid the Hashem. And that's what I'm introducing right now. So what I'm saying right now is my humble offering of my own understanding of the writings of Rabbi Nachman. I think that for Rabbi Nachman, this concept, this concept of Rabbi Nachman, that a person can specifically find themselves in the lowest denominator of this world, in the Gehenna of this world, and still connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu there, is found as well in his writings. Now, Rabbi Nachman uses two terms throughout Lukutim Maharan, and more importantly, Rabbi Nussin uses these two terms to such an extent that it's almost impossible to ignore in Lukut HaLachos. Those two terms are going to be Af al-Pikain and Daika. Af al-Pikain means, for me, it means nevertheless or in spite of the fact. And Daika, which is the Aramaic expression of Davka, of specifically, is the expression of specifically... Or yes, it is specifically in this place. Now, I can show it within the writings of L'Qutim I can show Ba'ezrat Hashem how in certain points in each Torah, or very unique Torahs like Torah Samech which we're going to discuss about the Tsim and the Khalala Panui, and Torah Yod Aleph and Chilak Be'ez about Ayei Mekom Kavodo, and in Torah Chaf Gimel and Ayin Beis about Simcha, and in Torah Kuf Yud Beis and Chilak Aleph about Moishan Nigesh Al Arfel, especially in Reish Pei Beis about the Nekuda of, of Nikudas Tovos, which we're going to discuss at length. It's expressed in the first Torah in the Ashrei, Ashrei Mime Darach. So I can show it in the text, but what I want to try and say is to show it outside. Rabbi Nachman understands very deeply. That his spirituality is counterintuitive, Rabbi Nachman, in fact, on a certain level, is the master of counterintuitivity. Rabbi Nachman wants us to understand that even though our rational minds have applied certain limits to the presence of God in this world, have applied certain conditions certain necessary factors in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, based on our seichel hativi, based on our natural, rational, intellectual, and very often intelligent conception of ourselves about the world and of God. Rabbi Nachman is coming to shatter any limits that rationality has placed on the relationship between human beings and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, on the relationship between the soul and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. One of the most famous things about Rabbi Nachman is how difficult he fought against rationalism, how strong he was against the idea that a person can ultimately know anything to the point that if I had to give a line that in my humble opinion and my humble reading summarizes Rabbi Nachman for me, it's that the apex of wisdom is coming to a place of realizing that a person knows nothing. Now, understandably, that needs to be understood properly. It doesn't simply mean embracing ignorance. The i'idiyah, the not knowing of Rabbi Nachman, that unknowing, that lav yada'ana, that I don't know, is a deeply affirmative experience. Rabbi Nachman knew everything. But Rabbi Nachman was saying, even after all of the Torah that I know, ultimately the greatest knowledge is reaching a place where a person lives within that space of not knowing. What we spoke about in the shirim of R- Ravichamar Shemayar about reishad lo that ultimately the loftiest place in the system of, of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as described in the writings of Pnimi's HaTorah rooted in the original Mekubalim down to the Arizal to the Bal Shem Tov and to Rabbi Nachman, is that ultimately the closest that we can come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is our admittance and our recognition that we can't come any closer. And it's specifically in our recognition that we can't come any closer and that we can't know any more about HaKadosh Baruch Hu than our human limited logic that somehow, some way, through spooky action at a distance, through the impossibility, pella of Chidush Kamoni Lohaya Baolam, this deep Chidush, that Ani Ish pella, like Rabbi Nachman said, this wondrous concept that even though I'm limited in what I can say about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I'm limited in how far I can go in my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's specifically when I acknowledge my limitation that I touch the unlimited. It's specifically when I withhold myself from moving forward in an attempt to grasp God in any affirmative, rational way, that I truly grasp HaKadosh Baruch Hu Midosav, like we said in the name of Shemayir, by way of a distance through Amuna. And Rabbi Nachman wants us to obliterate the boundaries that rationalism has placed upon our concept of the relationship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And what this means is that we're going to be forced into a counterintuitive space where what we usually assume as up and down or right and left are not good or bad, I don't want to go that far, but the conceptions of our own engagement with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and our own personal situatedness, those are going to have to undergo an almost traumatic revolution. Like Rabbi Nassim says so often in his writings, in his letters to his son of Yitzhak in Alim Latrufa, yesh inyan shayit tapei chakol. The essence of Rabbi Nachman's teachings is that there is a certain understanding, there is a certain grasp, that once a person grasps this, it revolutionizes everything, it reverses everything. What you thought was down turns out to be up. What you thought was distance turns out to be closeness. What you thought was difficulty turns out to be easy. What you thought was sadness turns out to be happiness. What you thought was darkness turns out to be light. This is what I feel Rabbi Nachman is trying to convey when he uses the language of Afal Pikain and Daika in his many writings. Now a simple search, I'm very non-scientific in my approach over here but a simple search through the help of friends on Safaria, of, in the swarm of Chasidus, of how many times the phrase Afal Pikain and Dika appear. I'll post a picture of it afterwards. It's, it's almost laughable. The Sfasemes, the Chudu Arim, Sifrei Chabad, they have it one or two times. In Lukut Ha'alachos, it's 2,736 times. In Lukut Maran, it's like 248 times. These are clearly phrases that Rabbi Nachman of Breslov emphasized. And it's my belief that this Sefer of Lukut Maran is not only a precise Sefer, but like we're going to see through the Yudchas Khalim, through the 18 principles of Rav Avim ben Rav Nachman, every single word in Lukut Maran deserves a deal. Every single sentence in the Aran deserves our undivided attention. So if Rabbi Nachman is using these phrases, and Rabbi Nassim is using these phrases so often, he's coming to teach us something. When Rabbi Nachman says afal piken, and I'm going to give an example of it afterwards, this concept of nevertheless, or in spite of, in our first encounter with spirituality, in our first encounter with goodness, in our first encounter of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we assume that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to be found in the light, is going to be found in comfortable places, is going to be found in those easy spaces where we feel aligned with ourselves, where our true self and our ideal self, where our chilek Eloy Kamimal and our nafesh HaBahamis are aligned together. And that as long as a person is aligned, as long as a person is yashar, as long as a person is Basimha and doing well, that's where our Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to be found. But as every individual knows, in each and every moment of their lives, in stark distinction and in reaction to those feelings of well-being, to those feelings of spiritual calmness or serenity, there's an equal or even more powerful sense of anxiety, of distortion, of what if, of sveikos, of questioning, of doubting, of all of the different things that go bump in our spiritual conceptions and our faith in this world that cause us to move away from our spiritual situatedness. When Rabbi Nachman uses the phrase afal pikem, what he's saying to us is as follows. What he's saying is, even though there seems to be distortion, there seems to be disagreement, there seems to be darkness and svakos that push up against your spiritual conceptions of Hakadosh Baruch Hu in this world, even though afalpi, even though there are difficulties and failure and falling and struggle, and doubt, and chasronos and Yisurim, and Chathayim, and all of the different things that we try so hard to move against, even though those exist, afal nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still present in your life. Nevertheless, afal p'kein, Hashem is still with you. afal p'kein, you're still a holy individual in spite of the fact that you've fallen, you're still close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yes, there's darkness. Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's all of the things that stand in stark opposition to all of the terms that we've been discussing. But nevertheless, Afal pikain you still have a connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What Rabbi Nachman seems to be saying here is that even though there's darkness and difficulty in the world, even though there's darkness and difficulty in the person's life, even though there's darkness and difficulty, even when you're engaged in light and holiness, as we're going to see when we discuss Torah Resh Pebe's of Azamra Eloy nevertheless, and in spite of those difficulties, a person can choose to focus on the good. That's what Afal Pikain means. Afal pikin for Abin Nachman is an acknowledgement of difficulty, is an awareness of suffering, is an awareness that things can be difficult. But nevertheless, it's a clarion call, it's a rallying call that says, even though there's difficulty in the world, ignore it, don't pay attention to it, and push forward in your movement towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu, push forward in your Avoida and Kedusha, and Be'ezrus Hashem, some way or another, you're going to be nichnas l'sha'are ha You're going to enter into the gates of holiness. That's a darga. That's a profound darga that Rabbi Nachman is teaching us. This level of afal came, this awareness of difficulty, but a willingness to bypass difficulty. To say, difficulty doesn't distract me. Darkness doesn't distract me. There's another level in the writings of Rabbi Nachman as well. And this is going to be the level of the phrase daika, specifically. Now when Rabbi Nachman uses the word specifically or daika or dafka, it's saying something profound that I feel, in my humble opinion, is unique to the writings of Rabbi Nachman. Yes, it's hinted to in the writings of the Lashem on an ontological Kabbalistic level. Yes, it's in in the writings of the Rashash and in the writings of the Baal Shem Tov and the writings of the Grah and all of the tzaddikim, and all of the different connections of tzaddikim to different tzaddikim. But Rabbi Nachman announces this, like we said last week. Rabbi Nachman screams this out. Rabbi Nachman not only spent his whole short life teaching this, but Rabbi Nachman was also dreadfully aware of how desperately we were going to need this in 2020. When Rabbi Nachman says the word daika, when Rabbi Nachman says the word specifically, he's saying something else. When Rabbi Nachman says daika, when Rabbi Nachman says specifically, he's saying, you think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is only found in your rational assumption. You think that Hashem is only found in the rational categories of goodness, of light, of clarity, of easy, of things that feel positive, of things that are comforting, of things that move smoothly without any meniyos, without any distinction. You think that that's where our Kaddish Baruch is found. And yes, there's a level of afal P. Cain that says, even though there's difficulty in the world, nevertheless, and in spite of it, I can still choose to see good. Rabbi Nachman says something deeper with the word daika. When Rabbi Nachman says daika, he says, no, no, no. Your entire rational conception of things is off. You know nothing. We know nothing. You think up is up and down is down and left is left and right is right. Unfortunately, according to, and not unfortunately, fortunately, human knowledge is fallible. Human knowledge is limited. And in truth, our conception of things can be the exact opposite of what we think. That you think in difficulty you can't find HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and maybe if you work hard in spite of the difficulty you can find HaKadosh Baruch Hu, comes along Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman and says, Daika in the difficulty you can find HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's specifically in the darkness that you can find Simcha you think that darkness has a problem with light and that light has a problem with darkness, it's daika in the choshech that you can come to truly understand light. It's specifically in those things that speak against happiness where a person can find the deepest expression of happiness. You think that when you fail, you're no longer in the hands of a Kaddush Baruch You think that when you fall a thousand times a day, a thousand times a minute, that you're no longer with HaKadosh Baruch Hu or no longer by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, comes along Rabbi Nachman and says, Daika where you fall, that's where Hashem is. Specifically where you think there is no more light, where you feel and you're convinced, according to your rational mind, that the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is too weak to enter, it's specifically there, Daika. Daika there that you can find HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is much deeper than Afal P-Kain. Afal Pikain says, even though there's darkness in the world, you can still choose to see light. Daika says the darkness itself is light. The darkness itself is light. I'm going to give one example of the usage of the word daika. We're going to read from Torah Kuf Tesvav in the Kutem Maharan And based on the advice of a friend, I'm going to try and give you the words of Rabbi Nachman without my interpretation, which I probably will fail at considering myself. Nevertheless, I'm going to try and show you in the writings of Rabbi Nachman what this word daika means. So we're looking at the 115th teaching in the first volume of Likutei based on the Pasuk in the second parak of Shamos, which is what we're going to be learning in the next few weeks, Ha'am and the nation stood from afar. UMoshe Nigesh El Ha'Arfel Asher elokim. and Moshe Abenu entered into the cloudiness, entered into that confusion, entered into that darkness, which is where Hashem was found. I'm not going to read the whole Torah, but I'm going to read from the end of the Torah. Ach Meacher hu Ultimately Hakadasbruch who loves the Jewish people the Oso Ha shel yisrael yoter And the love that Akadasbruch has for the Jewish people is ultimately deeper and larger than the love that Akadasbruch has for fairness in the world because Rabbi Nachman introducing this teaching expresses that there's a stira, there's a difficulty that we confront, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu On the one hand, Hashem needs to run a fair world, which means that the Jewish people need to be open to failure. That the Jewish people need to be open to the true judgment that we deserve. Chas On the other hand, Hashem loves the Jewish people. And the first half of the teaching, and this is very classic for Rabbi Nachman, he'll express a rational understanding of something, and then he'll give a second answer which obliterates even the rules of rationality. But again, Rabbi Nachman's teachings need to apply on different levels. There is a level of rationality that we have to function in, and there's a level of super rational that we function in, and very often it's at the same exact moment. So after saying how this love of the Jewish people and this love of fairness needs to be aligned together so that the Jewish people can actually suffer the real consequences, Chas V'Shalom, Rabbi Nachman comes to the, save the day and he says, Nevertheless, Hashem loves the Jewish people more than He loves fairness. He loves the Jewish people more than He loves judgment or mishpat. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? If Hashem is forced to let the Jewish people suffer for the fairness of the world, Yet on the other hand, Hakadosh Baruch Hu needs to disclose his deep love and unbreakable love to the Jewish people. How does he settle this agre- this disagreement? Ma ose Hashem What does Hashem do? Kihu muchrach kav yachol because he's forced kav lahaskim alamenius lemanu min emes. Hashem is forced to prevent the truth from coming to bnei Israel if we sin. Mach masadin v'hamishpat she'alav because of the laws of judgment and fairness. Because Hashem loves judgment. Nevertheless, in spite of the fact that HaKadosh Baruch loves judgment, so then we can say that Hashem will love the Jewish people more. So that's the level of Afal Pikain. In spite of the fact that Hashem wants to punish the Jewish people, in spite of the fact that Hashem hides Himself from the Jewish people, Nevertheless, in spite of that, we can still find Hashem. That's the first level of afal pikein. Aval afal pikein be emes la amiso, emes amiso. A tangent will be too long for now. Emes la amiso, emes la amiso. In the truth of truth, ritzono v'chefsu yisparach, the deepest truth of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the deepest Ratson of Hashem, sha afal that nevertheless, in spite of all of the difficulty, again, he says Afal Piquen twice here, Adam ha'adam elav yisparach. Hashem wants the individual to come close to him. Hashem wants the individual to find him. Ki hu ohev yisrael yoter Because HaKadosh Baruch loves each and every neshama, each and every chilek eloi Maal more than he loves the necessity of judgment and fairness in the world. Al-Kain, Hashem Yisparach, notain Lashus, lahazmin lo Hashem gives permission. This is a frightening statement. Based on the writings of our Mikubal and based on the understanding of what Ibn Nachman says about Manios and Sitra and Dinim, it's a frightening statement that Hashem gives permission for there to be Manios. Hashem says, yes, there needs to be fairness, there needs to be preventions that fight against a person. And preventions are all of the things we've discussed. The anxiety, the fear, the difficulty, the sadness, the proclivity to sadness, the anxiety, the uncertainty, the doubts, the tzabrach kair, all of the different things that each and every individual feels in their heart of hearts. Lev yodem maris Aval hu yisbarach And here's where Rabbi Nachman begins to enter into the place of Daika. Here's where Rabbi Nachman begins to enter into that second level. That you think that maybe it's just that in spite of the darkness you can find Hashem. Here Rabbi Nachman says, no, 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 no. Throw away your rationality. Cast yourself into the space of Amunah and recognize that it's Daika in this dark place that you can find Hashem. (laughs) (laughs) HaKadosh Baruch Hu hides himself within those preventions. HaKadosh <laughs> Baruch hides himself within the concealment. Hashem <laughs> hides himself within our anxiety, within our fear, within our difficulty, within all of those things that speak so strongly against comfort in this world. Umishahu Bardas, and someone who's a Bardas, Yacho limso at Hashem Yisparach maniya ba'atsman, is capable of finding a Kaddish Baruch Hu within the Maniya itself. This is a deeper level than Afal Pekin. Afal Pikin says, yes, there's a Maniya, but I can still choose to see a Kaddish Baruch Hu in spite of the Maniya. Daika says, there is no Maniya. Hashem is the Maniya. The Maniya is Hashem. The difficulty is a Baruch Hu. The anxiety is a Baruch Hu. The Svekos are a Baruch Hu. Because even though on the level of afal Pikain there are meniyos, on the level of daika there's no such thing as meniyos. Because even the meniya becomes a vehicle and a place where a person can have contact with the Kaddish baruch Hu. Because in the severity and the strength of the meniya, and again, if we want to make it more palpable for the modern mind in the postmodern condition of anxiety. It's within the anxiety that a Kaddish Baruch Hu can be found. It's within that overwhelming sense that there's too much to handle. There's too much that I'm not in control of. There's too much that can go wrong. It's specifically in that sense that a Kaddish Baruch Hu can be found. And it's specifically Daika through the Miniyos that a person has access to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Because it's specifically there that a person can find HaKadosh Baruch. Hu. The Torah of Rabbi Nachman is the Torah of Purim. The Torah of Rabbi Nachman is the Torah of Vinahapalchu, of things being transformed in an instant, of things flipping from the way they look to the way they truly are that a person can feel convinced on the level of Chol, on the level of Meniyah, on the level of Stira, that a Baruch Hu is not found here. But then when Daika arrives, when the Hippoch arrives, when that Torah of Yesh Inyan Shayit Hapecha Kol arrives, we immediately, without duration, it's not like a process where the, the falsehood falls away and then the truth slowly comes. The falsehood is immediately revealed to be truth. The stira is immediately revealed to be a place of clarity. Ezra Hashem, we should understand what Rabbi Nachman meant. We should see this ba'ayin ba'ayin. Ke'herafayin. The Torah of Purim is the Torah of v'nahapochu. Sh'yish inyan There is a way of thinking, there is a world that allows us to live with the awareness that everything can be flipped over that everything, no matter how rationally distant we are from light, can immediately and without delay, keheref ayin behesah be revealed to be the deepest place of light. To end, there's a teaching in the second volume of Lekut Maran, Torah Ayin Dalid. It's a famous teaching. I'm going to try and paraphrase the teaching. It's an impossible teaching to understand because Rabbi Nachman didn't finish the teaching. But I also believe, and I haven't seen this in Svarim, that when Rabbi Nassim recorded Torah Ayin Dalid in Chilak Bez, at the end of the teaching there's parentheses that say, "velosayim," and that Rabbeinu didn't finish, Rabbi Nachman didn't finish this teaching. So yes, a person can look at that as an editorial mark that Rabbi Nassim is saying that we don't have the end of this teaching. But a person can also learn the parentheses as the essence of the teaching. The Torah of Rabbi Nachman is the Torah of low sain. He didn't finish. Because Rabbi Nachman teaches us that, I was victorious and I will be victorious. Gamarti I have completed it and I will complete it. That there's a way of thinking that says that even though everything that needs to be said has been said already, there's still the possibility of more being said. That even though a person can be victorious over everything in their lives, there's still a room to be victorious even over victory. That Rabbi Nachman is not done with us yet. The relationship that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted Rabbi Nachman to reveal to us, the light that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Rabbi Nachman to reveal to the Jewish people, is a light that has not been fully tasted yet. Which is based on what we spoke about last week, that Rabbi Nachman is Nitzri, There's something Nitzri about the Torah of Rabbi Nachman. And Rabbi Nachman says when Rabbi Nassim writes and he didn't finish on a certain level he's saying I'm not done yet. There's still more that can be learned. This teaching can still be applied to you. Nevertheless, the teaching says as follows. That we read Parshas Para after Purim. That Purim is the time of Hippoch. Purim is the time of transvaluation of a reversal of things. Where up becomes down and down becomes up and then HaPaychu. And Purim gives us the ability to enter into the secret of the para-aduma. The para-aduma, which is the deepest paradox of it all. The paradox that says that only in death can life be purified. That only with the deepest awareness of Hester can presence be understood. That only by way of concealment can revelation be tasted. That only by way of darkness can light be fully appreciated. And that teaching of para that emerges out of the hipuch of Purim leads us to Pesach. It leads us to the eventual ability to get rid of all the chametz in ourselves, to get rid of all that extra in our lives, to purify ourselves, to clarify ourselves, to rectify ourselves. Maybe Nachman has a whole beautiful drash based on the kavanos of the Arizal and Kavanos about Mordechai and Esther and Pesach, showing how Purim, this reversal, leads to Pesach how first the person has to realize the reversal of things, how our rational logic does not mean anything, and ultimately is meaningless in how Hashem runs the world. And then eventually a person can get to a place of Pesach, can get to a place of clarity. And Ibn Achman ends this teaching as follows. He says, In the beginning... All beginnings started with Pesach. All beginnings in Avodah Sashem, All newness. All entry into the gates of Kedusha. All calmness of spirit and serenity that descends into the neshama through Moichen the Godless is through Pesach, is through clarifying oneself. Be your chametz, getting rid of all that is dirty. Understanding what is up is up and what is down is down. And therefore, all of our mitzvos are remembrances of Pesach. And then Rabbi Nachman says, But now, and he didn't finish. And what the Tamidim of Rabbi Nachman point out, Rabbi Nelson included, is that, All beginnings are from Purim. All beginnings in Avoidas Hashem are predicated on the awareness of yesh and yan she yitopei chakol. The Torah of Afal Pikain, the Torah of Daika, the counterintuitive Torah that Urban Achman comes to teach us that specifically where you think Hashem is not present, specifically where you think you have lost connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's specifically there that you can cultivate the deepest relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because when a person cries out from the deepest pl- place of the bottom, not only are they remembering HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but they're drawing down the deepest light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Next week, what we're going to discuss are the Yudchas Klalim, the 18 principles of learning the Sefer of Lekut Maharan, based on the teachings of Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, the son of Rav Nachman Tultshiner, who is a Taman Mufak of Rav Noson. So this is direct transmission, a direct transmission of the Torah of Rabbi Nachman. When I had the schuss of entering into Rav Itzemeyer, Morgenstern Schlitter, Cheder Pnima, about half a year ago, so I had just bought in the beer halikutim of Ravavram ben Rav Nachman, a very difficult sefer, a sefer that I still really have no idea what he's trying to say. Or from Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman is a more beautiful sefer, certainly a remarkable sefer that has certain sodas about Rabbi Nachman that are not expressed anywhere else. But a halikutim is a very difficult, terse sefer that has been miswritten and misedited. But at the end of my conversation with Ravichamaya Morgan Morgenstern, Shlita, he saw that I was holding the sefer bir halikutim. And as I was leaving, he said, is this your sefer? And I said, yeah. And I just bought in it a couple of days before, or a day before, in Eretz Yisrael. And he said, it's the only way to learn the sefer halikutim Aram." So Bezra Hashem, even though we're stopping with the teachings of Ravit Morgenstern, we're continuing with the teachings of Ravit Morgenstern, and that we're following his Hadrach of how to learn the Sefer of Lukut And Be'ezrus Hashem, with the ideas of Afalpik and Daika burned into our minds, or into my mind, at least, into my mind, not anyone else's mind, that Bezra Hashem will be able to access the Sefer of Lukut properly.